going to be featured on uh, Catsco Character later at 10.30. Would this be the same Casri who's doing a show next weekend as part of Jazz Fest at DVAA? Mm, perhaps. She's wonderful. I heard her at a Ramona Jan benefit last month, uh-huh. and oh my gosh, her interpretation of Ramona's music was <laughs> incredible. Well, right now it's 10 o'clock, and you know what that means. It's time for Farming Country. <laughs> And here we are with Rosie Starr and uh, Farm and Country. Rosie, good morning. Good morning. You and actually that- have a special sort of uh, f- interesting uh, only on Radio Catskill fun drive incentive. Is yes, that what we're calling we it? Yes, we do. And I truly believe that John Nordstrom, bless his heart, way out there in cyberspace somewhere, John, you inspired this moment. Hattie and Bill from Big Indian have two young roosters. They were hatched this past spring, and they want to give them away. They want somebody in our listening audience to have these roosters. You can do whatever you'd like with them. You can play around with them, have them as pets, or make Coco Van. (laughs) So the deal is this. You call up. What is the deal anyway? Call up eight four five four eight two four one four one. You make a donation and then you can you can claim those birds. Uh, one proviso and limitation: no one who lives within half a mile of my house is allowed <laughs> to claim the roosters. Oh, come on now! There's nothing like the sound of. How's that sound? That's a real live sound effect coming to you right now from Liberty, New York at Radio Catskill. I want somebody to call in now. 845-482-4141. If they want these roosters, come on, folks. It's Farm and Country Live. 845-482-4141. No joke. 845-482-4141. Or go to WJFFradio.org and make a donation. You don't have to take the roosters if you want to. They're on offer. And let's sweeten the deal. Uh, as you know, nope. I record my audio book, That Which Makes Us Stronger, here, here at the radio station. Right. And for the half hour I'm here, anyone who donates will get a free promo code for a download on Amazon or Audible. Well, look at that. There's all kinds of incentives this this hour uh, during uh, Farming Country and the Catskill character coming up on Radio Catskill during our fall fun drive. Call 845-482-4141. Amy's in the studio, or in the office I've got in the studio, Rosie and Greg Triggs. And Rosie, we've got some uh, special stuff on Farming Country. What's coming up next? Yes, we have a delightful show to you <laughs> for you today. For those of you who that have who are gardeners, um, this is the time of the season to put your garden to bed. And we have Jeffrey Rose from Koshekton from Wild Yarrow Farm with us. I took a he invited me into his garden and took a walk around, and he's going to tell us what to do at this time of the year for your garden. It's just a minion. It's a beautiful show, so stay tuned and give us a call, 845-482-4141. Call us now, 845-482-4141. It's our fall fun drive. Help us meet that challenge, $420 to go, and uh, a couple of uh, incentives there, too, if you want. Call us at 845-482-4141 or wjffradio.org. It's Farm and Country here on Radio Catskill, local uh, local programming you're not going to hear anywhere else. I love this time of the year in the garden. Pulling seed heads to store for next year, observing the shapes and colors of fading plant life, savoring the successes, and accepting the, well, I won't call them failures. There's always so much to learn, and I found in our community a great source of knowledge. 
I asked Jeffrey Rose from Wild Yarrow Farm in Koshekton, New York, if I could visit his garden at the end of his growing season. He was happy to share his method of preparing to put the garden to bed for the winter in preparation for next spring. Hi, Rosie. Thank you for coming back. It's always a pleasure to see you. Uh, before we step into the garden, I wanted to point out some of the plants are dying back. These tall plants here are elecampane. It's a native wildflower in the area. The roots are used medicinally for respiratory il illnesses. As well, we have the New York ironweed, which you can see back there with those beautiful purple flowers. These are all called herbaceous perennials. They grow new from the ground up every year. So you can see they're starting to die from the tops down and they'll die back completely and next year they'll come up anew. And we're going to talk about the different kinds of plants and where they're at at this time of year when we go through the garden. I want to quickly show you in the pots you'll see there's some new green growth. This is a cover crop mix that I plant. As I pull out the things out of the ground and out of the pots we put in this and it will kill over the winter and then in the spring we can just lift off the dead parts and it will have imparted new nitrogen and new nutrients into the soil. This other plant right in front of you is called comfrey and it has a lot of benefits for the garden and we're going to talk about that more when we go into the garden here. Okay. I know farmers use a uh, cover crop. Mm -hmm. I've never seen it in a pot and I like that idea. This way the weeds don't have a chance to grow up in that pot. I'll put new flowers in it next year. It's a mixture of field peas and oats, and I'll show you some. I have some over here. You can see the, uh, see the seeds. So what we have here in the garden, it's a mix. Uh, it's primarily annuals in the garden, flowers and vegetables. And an annual is a flower that lives its life in one season, generally speaking. Once it produces seed, it's finished, it's completed its task in the world, and you plant them again the following year. We had quite a late tomato crop this year. It was a challenge to all of our gardeners. Things came out late due to the weather, but they have come in force, for me anyway, in this garden. I've canned over 60 quarts of tomatoes already, and we had about 40 plants in this garden, uh, all different varieties. We come through this way. I love the way you have your paths here. Well, I'm not one for straight lines in a garden. Come back this way, Rosie. I want to show you. We planted birdhouse gourds. And these are gourds that you can cure over about a year. And then you drill a hole and make them into birdhouses. And if you look here, there are many beautiful gourds hanging from the, oh, from the trellis here. It's like an architectural, sculptural... Oh, I love it. It's like a little cave. Isn't that fantastic? Oh, it's beautiful. And you'll see the sunflowers have now finished. And these... You can see, you know that the sunflower seeds are ready when the back of the head turns yellow and the edges of the sunflower turn brown. And then you can see there are hundreds and hundreds of seeds here, which you can put out for the birds, or what I'll do is cut off the heads and give them to my chickens. Okay. <laughs> we go back this way. You seem to have an intention here on how you place things and what you're growing. Yes, it is very intentional. And um, although Mother Nature brings in with her own ideas. Right here, in fact, this is blue vervain, which is a native medicinal. And this volunteered here this year, along with this anise hyssop. It's a perennial. It'll come back next year. And when I find these beautiful perennials in the garden, you'll see there's a wooden stake here. 
this is going to die all the way back to the ground soon, and I want to make sure I don't till it under next year. So I'll have the stake here, the stick in the ground that will remind me that, oh, there's something here I want to hold on to for next year. So while my intentions are all over the place, so are Mother Nature's as she comes in and brings in more things that uh, for me. <laughs> well, I think that uh, the bees might be very happy here. Well, that is intentional as well. We have a very varied insectary here. We draw in all kinds of insects. As we've discussed in the past, diversity is key in the garden. The more kinds of plants you can bring in, the better. You're going to bring in more and more beneficial insects. You'll see right at your feet here, this is also the cover crop. So when I pulled out the onions that were in this bed, I raked it up and then I scattered the cover crop seed. And now you'll see it's about 10 inches tall. It's a mix of peas and oat grass. And this will die off in the winter. And then I can just rake off the dead leaves and it'll be ready for planting first thing in the spring. I know you as being one of your customers that you do seedlings, you sell seedlings. There's so much food being produced here. Mm -hmm. Are, is that for your own culinary? It's for me and my family and my neighbors. I share the garden with my neighbors. I grow it as a demonstration and teaching garden to be able to show people how to grow vegetables and flowers together. And then as the stuff comes in, we can it, preserve it, and as well I share it with the people in the community. Okay, what's next? So down here, you'll see this is arugula that was recently planted. There are certain things you can plant in the fall. Lettuces, arugula, spinach, things that like the cooler weather that don't do so well in the midsummer. And so these will be ready to eat pretty soon. Over here is some lettuce also that I planted just a couple of weeks ago. And you'll see they're already heading up and getting ready. My goodness, that, those are really lovely heads of lettuce. This one is called Tom Thumb. It's a really nice butter head. Uh, you take the whole head at once. Uh, it's fast growing. It's slow to bolt. So this is a real favorite for late season growing. But it, will it take a frost? It'll take a light frost. The lettuces and the arugulas can take it. You know, once we get into the really cold weather, then that's over. We mentioned the comfrey before. These tomato plants over here we're fed with a tea. We did an experiment. We made some compost tea. We made one with stinging nettle and one with comfrey. And you cut a bunch of the leaves. You put them in a construction bucket, one of those five-gallon buckets, fill them with water, close them up, and let them ferment. And it gets pretty stinky. <laughs> you know it's ready when it's really smelly and a bit slimy. And then we started feeding. We fed that group over there with the comfrey tea. We would dilute it in the watering can, and we fed at the base of the plant once a week. These tomatoes we did with a stinging nettle, and the ones in the back we left as a control with no tea. The ones that had the comfrey tea resisted the blight remarkably well. Those plants are still producing. Next year, we'll do the whole garden with the comfrey tea. It's an amazingly useful plant for the garden. You can also take the comfrey leaves and mulch with them. You can add it to your compost to help activate and rejuvenate your compost pile. So that was a great experiment this year. We're really pleased with the results of that. There are several types of, of comfrey, and they can be some can be very invasive. You have to be very careful. There's a bocking variety that the seeds are sterile, and the only way it can propagate is by root division. So that's the one that we sell here at the nursery, and it's the one that we use so we can control where it grows, because it can really take off if you have the wrong variety. So you have to be cautious about that. Another volunteer is this Angelica, 
which volunteered in another part of the garden, and I moved it over here. This is a beautiful and statuesque plant. It will grow until it flowers and seeds, and then it's finished. It didn't flower this year, so next year this is going to come back and be even bigger. This could be six feet tall with a giant green globe of a flower. And the flowers are a hub of insect activity. It draws lots of pollinators into the garden. And so we're really excited about this one. I think it's going to be huge next year. A beautiful plant. It used to be candied. You may have heard of candied angelica and used as a decoration on cakes. It's a very old-fashioned usage of it. Mm-hmm. Coming along this way, you'll see there's a mix of flowers, calendula, borage, and... These are edible flowers. They have a cucumber-like flavor. One of my colleagues made tea from the leaves this year and said that it was a, a really nice, refreshing, cold tea that had a, a little bit of a cucumber flavoring to it. It sounds like nice for a cocktail. Doesn't it, though? <laughs> and, the, you know, the leaves are a great garnish for cocktails. You can freeze these in an ice cube, and it's a, a really pretty thing to do. There are a lot of edible flowers here. The calendula are also edible flowers, and a lot of these have volunteered from previous years. You can see the seed heads. These have gone to seed, and look at them. They look like little talons of a bird. And so these reseed and show up in the garden every year, and they're welcome additions. And after they've gone to seed like this, which isn't as attractive, I cut some of them way back this year after they went to seed, like this one. And you can see we are covered with flowers this late in the season. It's just lovely to have flowers. The the color is gorgeous. It's their late season sun. They've been blooming for months, for months, all summer long. This is a Nicotiana. This is so pretty, isn't it? It has flowers from white to lavender, and they change over time. It's, a, it's in the tobacco family. Uh, these are okra, and these are great plants in the garden. It makes a beautiful flower. It's like a large hibiscus-type flower. I put them in the garden every year because they're great architectural interests. They're tall, and they're beautiful. And you're listening to Farm and Country here on Radio Catskill. Good morning. I'm Tim Bruno here with Rosie Starr, the producer and host of Farm and Country, and uh, also giving you that segment on Wild Yarrow Farm. We're going to have part two of that visit to Wild Yarrow in just a minute, but we're interrupting to talk about our fall fun drive. Greg Triggs is here, too. Hello, and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Uh, Jeff is so talented, and it was so descriptive what he was saying. It was yeah. just beautiful. Well, especially when you're on the radio and you can't see it or be there to hear these great descriptions, you feel like you are there. So thanks for taking us there, Rosie, for Farming Country. It's our fall fun drive, as we mentioned, and we have a challenge that we're trying to meet. We're getting really close. We heard from a couple of other folks recently uh, this hour. Marie from Liberty donating. Thank you. And Anonymous donating as well. So now we only have $260 to go. That anonymous is so generous. I see them on donations all the time. All the time. You you could be anonymous or you could listen to who you are. Call and help us meet the rest of that challenge. Just $260 to go to meet the $750 challenge. Well, Tim, I have have two incentives for uh, giving for this half hour. Number one, anyone who makes a donation this half hour will be invited to an artist's talk at 3 p.m. at Catskill Art Space featuring Matt Nolan and his new show, which is called Tethered. It is free to the public, but you will know you were there because you made a donation. Exactly. So important. <laughs> and then also, I recorded my audio book, That Which Makes Us Stronger, 
which was nominated for the Penn Faulkner Award. And I am giving away a promo code to anyone who donates this half hour. Uh, it will be emailed to you and you get a free digital download of the audiobook on Amazon or Audible. But wait, there's more. There's more because I actually read that book and I have to say, OMG, <laughs> if you like your heart tugged, get this book. He is divine in his reading and it's very descriptive. Oh, thank you very much. And it even made you blush a couple of times, didn't it? <laughs> blush and teary-eyed and laugh and I can relate to the whole thing. After all, I am vintage too. Yeah. But you know what my book lacks, I have to admit, is roosters. There are no <laughs> roosters in my book. Rosie. Well, there's one right here in the... Uh, 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 there are right two. There's one right here on the console. Do you hear that? Oh my gosh, look at those colorful birds. They are just gorgeous. Patty and Bill from Big Indian have two young roosters. They hatched this past spring, and they want to meet you to give you these roosters. And we would like you to call us right now, 845-482-4141, if you'll take these roosters. Now, come on, folks. It's farm and country. I know you want these birds. You, I used to live in Minneapolis, and I would listen to NPR in Minneapolis all the time. Major city, they never offered roosters yeah. as a giveaway incentive during fun drives. You can, you can drives. get a tote bag anywhere, but you're not going to get a rooster except from right here. One station. That's right. This is a there farm and country moment. Exclusive. I'm, my skin is just tingling with excitement. <laughs> the fact that I can say on this radio station, on Radio Catskill, there are two roosters available for you. For you, listener, for you, farm and country listener, come on. You've got the land. You've got the talent. You can do this. 845-482-4141 or WJFFradio.org. We want to get back into the next segment. Yes, we're going back to Wild Yarrow Farm. We're going to listen to more with Jeffrey Rose. And with this, I want you to understand now, we're a radio station. We're perennial. We have sustainable qualities, just like in a garden. You help us harvest all the great programming because you support us. The way you feed soil in a garden, you feed us financial support. Give us a call, 845-482-4141. We're in your basil patch here. Yes, a ton of basil this year. And this is also, this is all kale here. This is an interesting flower here. This is a tropical milkweed, and I was drawn to it for the pretty flowers. And I know that uh, the milkweed are crucial to the monarch butterfly's life cycle. Unfortunately, this is native to Mexico, and I thought that'll be clever. We can have a little Mexican restaurant for the butterflies. But I've learned that you should not grow these in our climate because they flower later. And so the butterflies are confused about time. And so they're confused and it'll hold off their migration. So I've left it here just as a teaching plant, but we're taking off the flowers and not letting them flower so that we don't confuse the butterflies and we won't be carrying this again. It's okay to introduce foreign species into your garden, but you make sure you learn about them and make sure you're not causing a problem for our native insects, which are so crucial for our garden's health. With all the seed heads that you have here... Do you get flocks of birds? We get a lot of birds, sure. A whole lot of birds. We collect a lot of the seed that we produce to use for next year. We are collecting a lot of the tomato seed. We walked by it, but back there, there are little satin bags that are around the fruit. So we isolate the flower 
when the flower buds form, and then you shake them periodically to pollinate them, then once the fruit forms, you know that that fruit has not been cross-pollinated with another tomato, and you know that that seed will produce true. And so we take that piece of fruit, squeeze out the juice and the seeds, mix it with some water, and you let it ferment for a couple of days. It gets a little stinky again. And then you can wash the seeds and dry them and use them for next year. And with over a hundred varieties of tomatoes, it's an important part of our work cycle here. Jeffrey, you are such a wealth of knowledge. We, you know, I learn the properties of an individual plant, and you know, for instance, that this here is lovage we happen to be standing in front of. And this is a perennial vegetable. This comes back every year. I know it's here. I know it's going to be that big. So I know I can put things around it. You have to, it's such a, a basic idea. My mentor, uh, Trina uh, Pilinero, when I asked her once, I was helping her with some gardening and I, I said, well, how close can I put this? And she said, well, how big is it going to get? And that simple thought, a light bulb went off. And it's like, oh, okay, I know that that plant gets so big, so that's how close they can go. It's just that simple. If you know the plant's going to get to be 14 inches across, then you can put them 14 inches apart. The bees right now are so happy. What is this that we're looking at? That's a wild aster. We have quite a collection. You can see the pinks and the purples out in the distance. These are all different wild asters. I don't know the name of this particular one, but we have the, the New York aster is behind you, the blue one. This is a little whiter. The New England aster is that beautiful purple one that you can see off in the next, in the next gardens. I think they're native. They are native, all of them. Yeah, all of these asters that you see here are native. Behind you are the eggplant also. Again, with the timing, a lot of people struggle growing eggplant in their garden uh, because of flea beetles that decimate the plants early in the season. You can deal with that by covering them early in the season or using pesticides. What I've discovered is by waiting until mid-June before I put the plants out, I've had bigger eggplant crops than ever before. So I think if we wait them out, the flea beetles can have their time. I put them up into larger pots for a couple of weeks and just kept them in the greenhouse, but didn't put them in the ground until the second or third week of June. And it really has made a remarkable difference. That and the wild border that you see all around the garden. I let weeds and mustards and wildflowers grow up all around and through the fencing. And this way, the insects find their food, their natural food. With it, instead of just coming right in and eating our vegetables. This is uh, Verbena bonariensis. It's a beautiful annual reseeding, self-seeding annual. Great cut flower, too. And the insects love that as well. You see this area that's been cleared. This is where the carrots and the cucumbers were. So I pulled out all the weeds and raked it out. And now I'm going to scatter seed these which, of course, is the radio. You can't see them, listeners, but there are pea seeds and oat seeds here. And you thickly sow them in and rake them into the ground. And within a very short period of time, you have a cover crop that's feeding the soil. Mm -hmm. Boy, that's a nice big bag. Are they organic seeds? They are. I get these from Hudson Valley Seed Company. They have some great mixes. And this is their field pea and oat mix. Highly recommend it. And this year, for the first time, I thought, well, why don't I put it in those big pots outside instead of letting the goldenrod seeds and all the other stuff get in there and, and make it harder for me in the spring to put flowers and food in them. String beans here 
they'll keep producing. You can see there's still quite a few coming as long as you're picking them. It being an annual plant, once the seeds start to develop, once the the beans mature fully and when you open them up, you can see the seeds like that there, the plant will stop producing because it thinks it's completed its life cycle. Its mission on earth is to reproduce. And so if we don't pick the beans, they're going to mature. They'll eventually dry and the plant will stop producing them. But if we keep picking them, it'll keep giving us string beans until the cold weather sets in. Mm, they're mixed with your sunflowers that are just towering here. <laughs> yeah, the sunflowers were also volunteers. I didn't plant them. They came back from last year from seeding and the string beans love to climb up them. These are blue lobelia. They're starting to die back already, but this is a beautiful perennial that uh, the insects just love. Same with the Mexican sunflowers. They love those as well. And we have giant hibiscus here, which come back year after year. This plant is about, oh, I guess maybe six years old or so. And uh, they come back every year, and it's a beautiful late summer flower. My gosh, the soil here must be so healthy. Well, we put a lot of effort into that. You have to take care of your soil. It's more than just the plants. You have to feed the soil. So we do that by adding organic fertilizer. We also have big compost piles over at that end of the nursery uh, where we mix in the litter from our chicken coop, all of the garden waste, and then we let them age for two years because chicken manure is very acidic and you have to be careful. You don't want to burn your plants. But then we add that in here by the wheelbarrow full. And um, we also have compost piles throughout the garden. As I'm weeding or clearing things away, I just let them stack up in certain piles inside the fenced area, and I'll mulch them over for the winter. And then within a year or two, just by passively composting it, you'll be able to rake it out. It'll turn itself into soil. And I see over in this corner lovely stalks of corn. Yes, we put in about 24 or so plants, just for fun. Corn has to be pollinated by the wind, usually, and that's why you see it planted densely in big fields. So if you want to put corn in your garden, you have to go out and shake the stalks periodically, or you can break off the flower part at the top, and then you pollinate down at the silks. When the corn comes out and there, are, you see those silks that are hanging, each one of those silks is a kernel of corn. And each one of them has to be pollinated. So if you're getting half-filled cobs of corn, you're not fully pollinated. Because each silk has to receive some of that so that it can form the kernel. Where you're standing is an area that we're clearing for the garlic bed. The garlic will be going in soon. At the time this airs, it'll be time to get your garlic in the ground. So what I'm doing is clearing out the weeds here, and we'll add some more soil, some more fertilizer and some more compost, and we'll get the garlic in so that we'll have enough for next year. Mm -hmm. We try to plant enough garlic so we have it for the whole year, as well as enough to plant for the following year. What variety do you use? Oh, many varieties, but hardneck. Hardneck varieties. I like the really big, robust ones. They'll last through most of the winter. They start to get soft, but by then the spring garlic should be coming up. And you can pull them up early and use those. So we can always have garlic without having to go to the grocery store. <laughs> oh, I feel so lucky to be standing here with you on this sun-filled autumn. It's just an experience to be here with you. It's a magical time of year. There's a real true beauty to the decay of the garden. 
to the closing out of that cycle. And the season never really stops. The garden's working all the time. These strawberries, for instance, are ever-bearing strawberries. So they fruit all summer long, as opposed to June-bearing, which only fruit up in June. And these will keep going until the frost. The kale will be picking that through the frost. I have some giant musselberg leeks over there that in previous years I've pulled them out of the frozen ground in the snow and still been able to use them. So the garden can keep working for you if you keep up with it and spend some time in it every day if you can. Do you keep journals? I do. You have to. It's a good thing to keep a record of what you're planting. And when you notice that you know there's an anomaly or something is a little different, you take a note and then you can say, oh, didn't that happen once before? What were the impacts of that? There are so many inputs in a garden. You have the, the weather and watering and nutrients and insects. It's going to be different every single year. And then there's climate change, as if it isn't hard enough. So what we need to do, though, is to look at climate change and adapt our gardening to it, like planting the eggplant a little bit later, changing our fall planting schedule. As our frost date gets later, we can leverage that. Let's take advantage of it and plant lettuce and arugula in September so that we can have these things in October. Before we close, is there anything else you'd like to say? I'd just like to wish everybody a great harvest season. It's still going on. Get everything you can out of your garden and put it to bed. Cover it over. Give yourself a break by spending a little extra time now so that when the spring comes, you can do the fun stuff right away and not be faced with the giant weedy mess. That's my best advice. Well, thank you so much for this garden tour and for sharing your knowledge. And we look forward to the 2024 growing season with you. Thank you very much, Rosie. It's always a pleasure to see you. Wild Yarrow Farm has an Instagram page and is located on New Turnpike Road in Coshecton, New York. All right, that's Rosie Starr, and she's right here, too. Hi, Rosie. That was a great a great visit to Wild Yarrow Farm. Oh, it was just lovely, and Jeffrey reminded me that in 2024, he has all kinds of seminar series that are going to be planned for that growing season. And I want to remind you of this fact. We practice radio that is diverse, sustainable, and native, just like